Well, Chick-fil-A is taking a big step to the left. Also, Khloe Kardashian admits on television that using surrogacy to gestate and then birth her son has actually made it really difficult to bond with him. We will analyze this and talk about why that is on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com, use code Allie at checkout for a discount. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Tuesday. Hope everyone had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. We have a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about today, but first just want to say how thankful I am for those who made the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf so we could have the fun and free day that we had yesterday and have every day. Um, That, you know, it's kind of funny when people say, I've mixed feelings about this, when people say, Happy Memorial Day. Someone told me that the other day. And on the one hand, I'm like, well, it's not really something that we're happy about. Happy Memorial Day. It's not like Merry Christmas or Happy Halloween or Happy July 4th. I mean, we're talking about something very solemn and somber. We are talking about human beings, image bearers of God who were killed for our freedom so that they could secure the things that we hold dear today. But at the same time, it is something that is worth celebration. All of these freedoms that were died for and that were secured, all of the pain and the loss that has been suffered on behalf of the United States, it has allowed us to have a day of celebration. And so it is a little bit of a a mixture there. It's a bittersweet day, I would say, but I don't think that there should be any guilt either in having a day that's full of fun things like the lake and hamburgers and hot dogs and time with family and all of that. I think that's also what it's for, as long as we are continuing to remember not just the sacrifices that those soldiers have made, but also their families who are still reeling from and dealing with that pain today. And so for me, I said, uh, one, I'm, I'm just grateful still for those who are putting themselves in the line of fire today who have not yet made that ultimate sacrifice, maybe never will. But I'm also just in prayer for those families who um, still feel that hole in their heart, still feel the impact of that loss. I'm thankful also for the sacrifice that they have made for the country in dealing with a kind of tragic pain that a lot of us just we a lot of us just don't know most of us have not had family members who have been service members who have died and so we can't really know what that's like but we can pray for them and support them as much as possible um all right over the weekend we did have a we had a fun weekend yesterday we just chilled with our family had some pool time ate some good food and that was great because the couple of days before my husband and I went to the Indy 500 in Indianapolis which was so fun. We went with our Good Ranchers peeps and they sponsored a car for Team Penske. And this particular car did not win, but another Team Penske car did. So that was fun. We had a big celebration, met some cool people, very thankful to Good Ranchers for inviting my husband and me to go there. Also, like one of the highlights of going to Indianapolis, I've only ever been twice, is the airport. It's a great airport. If you guys follow me on Instagram, you know that I talk a lot about airports and air travel and my rules for air travel attire and the different airports that are good. Indianapolis, 
great, great airport. Now, I will say that the food there, really at all airports, but I just really noticed it in Indianapolis, the food in the airport is insanely expensive. Insanely expensive. Like, you could get a plain bagel at this place for however much it was, like $4 or something. And then the little... um uh, cream cheese that they give you and the little plastic things that a lot of places give you just for free. Two extra dollars. Two extra dollars for the cream cheese. So that's my only complaint, Indianapolis, is that your food there is expensive. More expensive than necessary, more expensive than usual. But it's a beautiful airport. It's very clean. It's very broad. It's not very crowded, which I appreciate. It reminds me kind of of a bigger Greenville Spartanburg. That's another great airport. Charlotte, you're awful. Worst airport, probably. Charlotte, Orlando, Atlanta, Miami. You're bad. You're bad. Now, people get offended when I say that about Atlanta. I don't know what to tell you. Hartsfield, Jackson, definitely one of the rings of um, Dante's Inferno. It's just everything that really you don't want in an airport. Um, it's not It's not the worst, though. It's not the worst. And I had you guys guess what is the worst airport, in my opinion, and only a few of you got it right. Only a few of you who are the most vigilant followers and fans and listeners, and that is Orlando, the least magical place on earth. Um, it's just a bad, it's overcrowded, but Charlotte is right up there. Honestly, it's probably Orlando, then Charlotte, then Atlanta. But there are a lot of ones I haven't been to. I don't like either of the New York airports. Um, so I mean, LAX obviously isn't fun either. But I've never been to the Chicago airport. A lot of people also say MSP is like the greatest airport. I don't think I've ever flown into MSP. Dallas Love Field, great airport. Um, these are all arbitrary, by the way. They're just my personal opinion. Please don't get offended. I doubt any of you are the designer or architect for Hartsfield Jackson. And yet some of the messages that I get, it's like I told you that your like personal drawing was bad. It's it's not personal. These are these are just my opinion. So anyway, Indianapolis, you got a lot going for you. Indy 500, one of them. Um, airport, the other. Indy 500, I didn't know what to expect. I've never been to a race like that. I went to school in South Carolina. I went to a very, very interesting, more NASCAR-y, but like a couple steps down from NASCAR type race when I was in college. Um, yeah, yeah. I will just to let you like imagine what like small town South Carolina, like dirt car racing would be like. That was really the only experience of going to a race like that that I have. I didn't, I had no idea really what the Indy 500 was going to be like, but it was really cool. We got to like go down to the pit and see all that kind of cool stuff. Um, and so it was great. The people watching, phenomenal. I had no idea what to expect. I wore like a sundress, which I thought would be the typical attire for people. Not necessarily. That's what I will say. Not necessarily. There is a very wide range of human beings that go to the Indy 500, and it was great people watching. So um, thank you, Indianapolis, for a great time. There's a lot of nice people there. Um, and yeah, so that was our weekend. So my husband and I did that for a couple days. It was fun to do that together. And then 
like I said, enjoyed yesterday. Uh, all right. Uh, just one more bit of encouragement, and then we'll get into our first ad, and then we'll talk about some of these stories. Just to reiterate what I said on Instagram this morning, and sometimes I like to start the week like this, and just to remind you as things just become overwhelming, and it seems like the darkness is winning. Here's what I read, and I've read this on uh, the podcast many times before, especially when it feels like we're just going through very tumultuous moments, which seems to be always in our culture. But I read Psalm 62. And what I love about Psalm 62, I really love the whole thing. I love being reminded of God's total sovereignty. But this is also a good reminder. Psalm 62, 11, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. I love that reminder. And as we've gone back to Matthew 28 a few times over the past couple of weeks, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations because all authority on heaven or in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Let us remember who is in charge. Let us remember who created the universe, therefore, who is the definer of all things, who is the ultimate ruler of all things. Everything is under him. Let's remember who is in charge. This is our father's world. That's my favorite hymn because that is a reminder that I need to bring peace to my heart and my nervous system on a daily basis, that God's eternal plan of redemption always is going off without a hitch, that there's nothing that surprises him. There's nothing that throws him off. There's nothing that takes him aback. There's nothing that happens that makes him look down and say, oh my goodness, I didn't see this coming. How am I going to swoop in and clean this up? That's not how he functions. That's not his character. That's not his nature. He exists outside of time. He is ultimately sovereign over all of it. And even though things happen that we don't understand, both in our personal lives and in the political sphere, both in our small communities or in our families, in our homes, or in the world in general, he is on his throne completely immovably. And he will one day take care of evil and wickedness and sorrow and sin that you are personally experiencing, but also that the world and its groaning is also experiencing. And he will rule in perfect peace. And we will have no more worry. We will have no more anxieties. We will have no more burdens. We will have no more temptations. That is the hope that we have. That's what we get to look forward to. And if God is on our side, as the end of Romans 8 lays out so beautifully, who are we afraid of? That's a paraphrase. Who can be against us? For who can bring any charge against God's elect? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. In him we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. I love what William Tyndale said. I've also read this quote a few times on this podcast. I don't have it right in front of me, but I think I have it almost verbatim. And that is Christ is with us until the world's end. Let his little flock be bold. Therefore, what difference does it make? This part is a paraphrase. What difference does it make? Who is against us? Uh, Who is against us if Christ is for us? And again, that's what Jesus tells us in 
Matthew 28. For behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. That should be so empowering and so emboldening that we have the right and the responsibility and even just the presence of the Holy Spirit with us to strengthen us in all things. So let that be the hope that we cling to. Let that be what drives us forth every second of every day to do the next right thing in faith with excellence and for the glory of God. All right. Speaking of Christianity and Christ, Christian Chicken from Chick-fil-A is disappointing us. It's disappointing us this Tuesday morning. We're going to get into that in just a second. Let me pause. Let me tell you about our first sponsor for the day. And that is Good Ranchers. I was with the Good Ranchers people this weekend. They're wonderful people. They've been on this show and they've described their story of how and why they started Good Ranchers. They're uh, America-loving, God-loving people who have the same values that you and I do, who really care about the farming and uh, ranching industry in this country. They care about how it's been decimated and they're trying to revitalize it by getting all of their meat, whether it's the uh, better than organic chicken or the craft beef or the seafood, all from American farmers and ranchers. It's all ethically raised. It's all sustainably sourced. You don't have to worry about the mRNA stuff that we've seen going into other livestock. None of their meat has any of that stuff in it. You're supporting American farms and ranchers. You're supporting a Christian conservative America loving company, and you're making your life easier because all of this meat shows up at your front door every month if you subscribe on dry ice. You got a freezer full of meat that you can rely on all week. That's what we do every single night. We love Good Ranchers. It makes sure that we have a staple, that our meals are healthy, and that it's just really, really easy. It's one less thing to think about when you go to the grocery store. I can't tell you like what a relief that that's been to just be able to rely on Good Ranchers. Also, they donate 10 meals to those in need for every box ordered. I mean, this is just a win all around. If you haven't subscribed to Good Ranchers, or if you haven't at least bought a box of Good Ranchers, especially with Father's Day coming up, now's the time to do it. So go to GoodRanchers.com. Use my code Allie for $30 off your order. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie for $30 off. GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Okay, let's talk about Chick-fil-A and the craziness that they're getting into. So... Uh, you might have seen this this morning. I saw these posts circulating. This is not originally what I intended to talk about. We're going to talk about the things that I did intend to talk about, but I wanted to first, I, I wanted to first address, uh, address this because I'm seeing a lot of complaints circulating about Chick-fil-A's DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion hire. Here is the, here's the statement that you see a lot of Christian conservatives, I think, rightly complaining about on social media. Eric McReynolds is the VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A restaurants have long been recognized as a place where people know they will be treated well. Modeling care for others starts in the restaurant, and we are committed to ensuring mutual respect, understanding, and dignity everywhere we do business. These tenets are good business practice and crucial to fulfilling our corporate purpose. Now, I don't disagree with any of that. Of course, that has always been Chick-fil-A's motto. That's the difference maker with Chick-fil-A is that you show up there, you're going to get a smiling face that seems like they really want to be there. 
They not only want to do their jobs, but they want to do their jobs well. And they go above and beyond what is required of them in a lot of cases to ensure that they are serving their customers well. And in an age when it seems like customer relations, customer service, good attitudes, hard work ethic have all kind of been thrown out the window in favor of just kind of this malaise that has taken over our society, Chick-fil-A still goes above and beyond. That's why people go there, despite saying a couple years ago that they were going to boycott because Chick-fil-A wasn't on board with the pride stuff. Now, you'll remember back in 2012... Uh, Chick-fil-A got in hot water because the president of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, um, this is according to CNN, he sparked reactions that were swift and strong after he weighed in on same-sex marriage by saying his company backs the traditional family unit. (gasps) And then they still supported these Christian organizations over the years, like Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, that supported or that still support traditional marriage, biblical Marriage, And so even though there has never been any evidence whatsoever of discrimination by Chick-fil-A, even though they have never come out and said really anything clearer than that about biblical marriage or what they think about gender and so-called sexual orientation and things, simply because they have not been overtly celebratory of pride and they haven't done all of the virtue signaling that we typically see major corporations do in the way of uh, uh, supporting transgenderism things like that, they have gotten um, a lot of backlash. You'll remember even like a couple years ago, or maybe it was last year, there was like renewed hate toward them. And every time they try to build a Chick-fil-A, one of these liberal places, even though they do really well, there's some kind of uproar from liberals who pretend like Chick-fil-A is immoral for not celebrating chemically castrating kids. So anyway, I agree with Eric McReynolds's statement here on Chick-fil-A having been recognized as a place that respects people. Of course, the question is, why does the VP of DEI need to say it? What does that have to do with DEI? If we're talking about just treating everyone well and treating everyone equally, well, Chick-fil-A has always done that. They've always gone above and beyond. So why do we need a DEI department saying something like this? So here's more from Chick-fil-A's DEI webpage. One of our core values at Chick-fil-A Inc. is that we are better together when we combine our unique backgrounds and experiences with a culture of belonging, euphemism after euphemism after euphemism. Uh, We can discover new ways to strengthen the quality of care we deliver to customers, to the communities we serve, and to the world. We understand that getting better at together, better at together, okay, means we learn better, care better, grow better, and serve better. Chick-fil-A Inc.'s commitment to being better at together (laughs) means embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in everything we do. To achieve this, we focus on ensuring equal access. We intentionally promote equal opportunity through our processes and practices. We strive to provide personalized development and eliminate barriers to opportunities so all can thrive. Valuing differences. Our similarities and differences strengthen us as we unite around something bigger than ourselves. We seek to understand and honor our unique experiences and perspectives, creating a culture of belonging. We inspire community by meeting people where they are. We promote and sustain a culture where all individuals can thrive and contribute to their personal best commitment and action throughout our business, recruiting top-tier talent, providing access to education, scholarships for certain employees, engaging through Chick-fil-A community groups, 
Um, a wide range of community groups are available to staff, such as women in business, black employee resource group, young professionals, and the Chick-fil-A green team. All right. So you'll notice that all of that sounds fine and dandy. You'll find the same kind of statements at Target, by the way. You'll find the same kind of statements at all of these very overtly liberal places who over the years have turned their trickle of progressivism into a full-blown waterfall because this is how it starts. And the strategy of making DEI sound totally innocuous and like something that any normal, moral, empathetic person would accept and celebrate is very strategic. We're not supposed to read something like this and know exactly what they mean. We're not supposed to understand what the policies will be behind these things. When they talk about equal opportunity, when they talk about creating an environment in which everyone can thrive, we should just ask ourselves, but what do you mean by that? And are you saying that thus far you have it? Because as far as I know, Chick-fil-A has been for a very long time in general, I'm sure that there are anomalies here, a really good place for all people of all different backgrounds to work. I know people that have worked. I know people who work at corporate. I know people who work in like the managerial part of different stores. I know people who have just worked there like in the drive through all different kinds of people who have all loved working for Chick-fil-A. And so if they already had a system in place where they were recruiting top talent. That's obvious. You have to have a good attitude and be a very competent worker to work at any place or any part of Chick-fil-A. And they already created a place in which people felt included. People felt like they were respected, like their dignity was honored. Then what is this about? What are, what are you talking about when you're creating an environment now in which everyone can thrive? What are you talking about when you're talking about these community groups? What are you talking about when you're talking about equal opportunity? Well, if we look at the DEI policies that are implemented by the companies that aren't afraid to just come out and what that means, they mean the kind of so-called anti-racism that has been championed by people like Ibram X. Kendi who famously or infamously said that the remedy for past discrimination is present in future discrimination. What is meant by that is that because Black people and certain kinds of people were once discriminated against in the past, that now we must discriminate against non-Black people, white people, in order to try to even the playing field. Now, is Chick-fil-A going to start doing the same thing that, say, Target and Starbucks do, which is paying for uh, their employees to receive these kinds of sex switching surgeries and go through these kinds of procedures. I don't see how they stop themselves from doing that. I mean, once you start embracing DEI, under this umbrella is the affirmation of all kinds of secular definitions of sexuality, of morality, of gender, of social justice, racial justice, identity. All of these things are under diversity, equity, and inclusion. Remember, the progressive idea of diversity is fewer white people. The progressive definition of equity is discriminating against white people. The progressive definition of inclusion is excluding white people. That's, that's what it is. And so if you really believe in equal opportunity, if you just believe that, hey, these are the standards that we are setting and 
um, you have to reach these standards to be hired by us as Chick-fil-A. You don't need a diversity, equity, and inclusion branch. Like, trust me when I say that, I mean, Chick-fil-A being in the South, being where it is, being headquartered in Atlanta, like they do not have a problem meeting racial quotas. All right. Like actually in some of these places, you're not going to find a whole lot of, you're not going to find a whole lot of white people just because of the communities where the Chick-fil-A's are in. So again, I'm asking, why is this necessary unless you are trying to push some kind of very progressive agenda, especially when it comes to so-called LGBTQ? Is this how they are trying to rectify their past quote unquote mistakes? Because when it comes to that, I mean, that is even like a whole different ballgame. Are we going to see Chick-fil-A start openly, like Chick-fil-A corporate, openly celebrating pride now? Are they going to be falling prey to this pressure? You'll remember a couple of years ago when there was a renewed uproar about them supporting these Christian organizations that upheld the tenets of biblical marriage that their sales actually doubled. After people called to boycott them in 2012, their sales actually increased because people love to support organizations and people that support their values. There's a lot of buying power in the hands of Southern Christian conservatives. Know your audience. And so the question is, as with Target 2, why? Why is Chick-fil-A doing this? Why are they going in this direction? Which I promise you, unless they stop, unless someone pumps the brakes, I promise you will go in the direction of complete and total institutional capture. It will be totally and completely secular progressive. At one point, there will be a huge celebration of all so-called gender identities and sexualities and all of that in just a couple of years if it keeps going this way. I promise you that. So why? They know their audience. They know where their stores are. What's happening behind the scenes? Well, it's something that we've talked about several times before, and I've just about had it with people who are messaging me, commenting me, being like, why don't you ever talk about why these things are happening. Don't just talk about what's happening at Target and Chick-fil-A. Like, why is it happening? Talk about CEI. Talk about DE or talk about ESG. Guys, like we have talked about that so much on this podcast. Thanks to brilliant people who have come on the show and explained it to me and kind of uh, peeled back the curtain so we can actually see what's going on. But I really recommend you going and listening to a conversation that I had with James Lindsay a few weeks ago where he talked about why is Bud Light? doing this with Dylan Mulvaney? Why are they hoisting up Dylan Mulvaney when they know that the Southern frat guy, the people who go to NASCAR races, that's their demographic. They don't want to see a guy who thinks he's a girl with his face on a Bud Light can drinking Bud Light in a bathtub. They don't want that. They think, oh, that's gay. I'm not going to be seen with a Bud Light. By the way, at the Indy 500, you can bring your own drinks in. I did not see a single Bud Light. And the entire place. And I, again, I think that there's a reason for that. So the question is why? Target, you know that you've got a ton of Christian conservative moms. Um, you've, you know, we're the ones going in there, buying Magnolia, buying the honest diapers, buying the affordable maternity items and the clothes and things like that, the shoes. And then you've got other companies doing the same thing. It's like, don't you know your customers? Why would you do this, Adidas? Why would you put a man with a, bulge in a women's bathing suit. It's because they are not beholden to us. It's because they're not beholden to us. 
Go back and listen to that James Lindsay episode and you can hear him more thoroughly explain it. Maybe we'll have him back on soon so he can explain it again and talk specifically about Target and Chick-fil-A and things like that. But it's not just the ESG score that we've talked about, the environmental social governance that really comes from the World Economic Forum. Justin Haskins has come on the show several times and explained what that is and how these major global companies like BlackRock They take large ownership in a lot of these corporations and basically, I mean, as a shareholder, make these companies abide by uh, the ESG standards, but it's also the CEI standards. And that is the corporate uh, equality index that is given by the human rights campaign. And they score these companies based on how, quote unquote, diverse they are, how many initiatives they are putting forward to be, quote unquote, inclusive. Again, that means celebrating LGBTQ. That means fewer straight white males. It's basically what it means. And these companies, because of the power of their shareholders, because of these big global corporate investors who own Target and who own some of these other corporations, these companies care more like Target and Bud Light. They care more about their CEI score, about their ESG score, which is always going to be progressive than they do about your or my opinion. They are not beholden to us. They are beholden to their CEI score. They are beholden to their ESG score. There is more power in BlackRock and Vanguard than there is in our hands, at least thus far. And yet, I think that there is an amount of power that we can wield that can make a difference. I do. Because you're seeing Bud Light take a really big hit, a sustained hit for several weeks that thankfully, successfully, the boy, now I don't drink Bud Light and I mean, I'm pregnant, but I, I still wouldn't. But the people who do drink Bud Light is just like the easy drinking, you know, beer to have at frat parties or bars or whatever. The fact that they have now boycotted and successfully created a stigma to where they're like, Nope, I'm sorry, but I, I don't want to have the trans beer. Uh, I, you can be offended by that if you want to, but that's what's happened. That there's such a stigma around it. It's become such a thing, both on and offline, that they have taken a sustained hit to the point to where I actually do think Bud Light, despite what their shareholders might say, despite what the Human Rights Council might say, they probably are a little worried right now. They're probably wondering how are they going to win back these people that we've really pissed off. And I hope that they can't. I hope that they don't. Because so many times conservatives say, go woke, go broke. And like, we don't really mean it. Like there's nothing that's really done about anything. It's like a few people that boycott. But now with Bud Light and then using that momentum to then Bud Light or to then uh, divest from Target, I do think that it can absolutely make a difference. I mean, here's something that I read from uh, uh, about Target, the Target loses, has lost $10 billion, probably more now. This is a little old, over Pride-themed kids' clothing. Um, so they have obviously taken a hit and they've had to say, oh, you know, we're moving our Pride sections to the back or we're diminishing our Pride sections. And now they've said it's for the safety of their employees. I don't know if that's true or not. But that's what they're that's what they're saying. They're saying that there have been threats and things like that, and that this is just uh, 
it's the result of extremism. And then you've got people on the left saying, oh, poor Target, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Have, do you remember at all the videos of the looting of Targets during the George Floyd riots? Like, do you remember everything that happened? If we have some pictures or some silent footage, maybe we can put it up on YouTube. But do you remember how those stores were absolutely ransacked by rioters after George Floyd? in the summer of 2020 and onward. And I didn't see any statement from Target saying we denounced this. I didn't see any statement from Target, internal or external, saying, wow, we really care about the safety and the well-being of our employees. And this is not right. We shouldn't have this kind of violence. The ransacking a Target isn't going to do anything about allegations of police brutality or bring George Floyd back or anything like that. Like, And the left wasn't freaking out about it. They weren't saying, oh, poor Target, poor Target employees. No, they were saying Targets, places like Target have insurance. Who cares about those big corporations? But now the big corporation is the victim because people are mad that they're selling compression tops and talking bathing suits and trans onesies and are partnering with open Satanists. Yeah, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. The duplicity here is just a little bit uh, a little bit much for me. But I do think that the boycott of Target starting now, through at least through the month of June, and I know people are mad at me about that, saying that's a weak stance, that's a weak stance. Look, I know my audience, okay? And you don't, you don't, you don't know. I promise you that me encouraging the people who listen to this to at least do the month of June is more effective than everyone saying boycott forever. I'm not saying it's wrong to say boycott forever because I am also saying that. If you can boycott forever, boycott forever. I have. You can. Everyone can. I know. But for some people, for the people who just think that that they can't do that, just saying the month of June, that's better than nothing, right? It's better than nothing. So it's okay if people just commit to the month of June. And then, as I said, see how long you can go after that. Take it a week at a time. I promise you, you can do it forever, but at least commit to the month of June and make them feel it. Because yes, shareholders, CEI, ESG, DEI, this, they all hold a lot of power, but we still do have some power. And if you go to publicsquare.com, if you download the Public Square app, spelled public SQ, you can find all kinds of alternative companies that you can use for diapers, for household items, for clothes, and things like that, that at least for a month can help you not shop at Target. You realize how much you don't even need. And I don't know if we're going to have to do the same thing for Chick-fil-A. I hope not. I love Chick-fil-A. I love it. I love their food. I love the people. Um that work there. But look, we have a ton of power when it comes to Chick-fil-A. I don't think they're quite as beholden to the corporate overlords yet. I don't think that they are all in on the DEI LGBTQ stuff yet. I think that we still can raise a respectful ruckus uh, when it comes to any Chick-fil-A policy that we see and I still think that we as Christian women hold almost all the power when it comes to Chick-fil-A. And just a reminder about what DEI is. 
This is according to the Heritage Foundation. Just as with the Black Lives Matter movement, leftists hide behind the simple nature of the words diversity, equity, and inclusion. In reality, each of these words means the opposite of what we think. At best, diversity has come to mean identity-based approach to society and racial quotas. At worst, it is a rigid enforcement of leftist orthodoxy. So it's basically hiring based on someone's skin color saying, okay, we need 10 black people and seven white people and six Asian people and seven Hispanic people. We got to meet these quotas. And if that means that we need to lower the standards of hiring to meet those quotas for certain people, then that's what we're going to do. That's what we're seeing across the board. That's what we're seeing when it comes to college admissions and have for a long time. That's what we're seeing when it comes to medical school. That's what we're seeing when it comes to so-called criminal justice, making sure that there are fewer black people arrested no matter what crimes are committed. So it has terrible, terrible implications. And it's also, as my friend Daryl Harrison said, committing the sin of partiality and for a company that claims in its statement to want to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to them, committing the sin of partiality. So hiring someone or giving privileges or special access to someone based on their skin color is actually a sin. It is a sin, according to God, who says over and over again in scripture that he hates partiality. James, the book of James, I believe it's James 3, at the end of James 3, talks about the sin of partiality. God says when he's giving his laws to Israel, do not defer to the poor or to the great in a lawsuit, but in truth, judge your neighbor. God hates partiality, whether you are being partial to the white person, to the black person or whatever. Um, And then Heritage goes on to explain that inclusion is a call for language codes because it demands that people only use inclusive language as defined by the left. So using, quote unquote, preferred pronouns, I guarantee you that's part of what they mean, what Chick-fil-A means when they are talking about um, when they are talking about creating an environment in which everyone can thrive, I guarantee part of it is going to be policing language and requiring employees, managers to use the pronouns that someone says that they have, even if it doesn't correspond with biological sex, which of course is committing another sin because you are forcing people to lie. I don't know if that's where they're going, but again, that is the clear implication from the policies that are set forth. And then equity, uh, perhaps the worst distortion of the three has come to mean that the government must treat people differently because of their race, country of origin, or other immutable characteristics. The goal is to guarantee an equality of outcomes, which used to be the Marxist goal, not the American one. And so, and this, of course, is what we've seen, again, across the board when it comes to corporate America. So Chick-fil-A, what you going to do? All right. Uh, We'll get into another story in just a second. Let me tell you about our next sponsor. That is Freedom Project Academy. So all of us care about our kids' education. And a lot of you are exploring different options, certainly a different option than public school, but maybe even a different option than the private school options that you have in your area. And you want the flexibility and the autonomy that comes from homeschooling, but you need help with the curriculum. You need help shaping what your child actually learns. And that is why Freedom Project Academy is here. They're here to help you with that. They've perfected online learning, learning, offering live on-demand and homeschool courses for kindergarten through 12th grade. They were built on biblical values and uh, they offer a classical curriculum. They're dedicated to mastery of subject matter and teaching kids how to think, not what to think. Save 10% on tuition when you enroll today at freedomforschool.com. That's freedomforschool.com. I will say this is not an exclusively Christian curriculum. They do use principles for the from the Bible 
in their curriculum, but it is not exclusively Christian. But if you're looking for help, at least supplemental help in shaping your child's academic experience, this could be a really good option for you. Freedomforschool.com to save 10% on tuition. Freedomforschool.com. So I want to talk a little bit more about this Khloe Kardashian uh, Kardashian story. They, uh, she said on a recent episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Is that still what it's called? I I think it's still called Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Some, it's just called the Kardashians now. I I do not I did not realize that. But you've probably seen this clip circulating where she's talking about using surrogacy for her. Uh, last child for her son and how that's created a big disconnect between her and her child. So here she is. Do you feel less connected? Mm-hmm. That'll take a minute. Yeah, people say it'll I take mean, a listen, but the other was said 10 hers, months of hers walking was around. Like, easy. This is not easy. I felt really guilty that like this woman just had a, my baby and you're just, I take the baby and then I go to another room and you're sort of separated. Like, I felt it's such a transactional experience. You know, I really appreciate her honesty when it comes to this. Most people will not be honest. Now, I've seen a lot of Christians, a lot of conservative commentators comment on this, and I praise God for that because that this conversation about surrogacy and about the questionable ethics of surrogacy was not happening. It was not happening a couple years ago. And I know this because I talked to, I think it was the beginning of 2021, I think, when I first talked to Jennifer Law, who has been studying the bioethics of surrogacy, talking about it and of the reproductive industry, IVF, all of that, for a very long time, for decades at this point. And I don't know where I found her. I think I saw her first maybe on Twitter. And so I had her on at the beginning of January. It was so fascinating to you guys talking about the ethics of IVF and so-called sperm donation and egg donation, which is really sperm selling and egg selling. Um, it was so fascinating to y'all that I had to have her back on like immediately because y'all were demanding a part two. And those are still some of my two most popular episodes ever. I've had her on talk about other things since then. And so I certainly cannot take credit for being the first one to talk about it. She and then also the founder of Them Before Us, Katie Faust, have been talking about these things for a long time. But I will say that when I had Jennifer Law on, which unfortunately a lot of people didn't know who she who she was at the time, even though she's been such a loud voice and a hard worker on this for so long, um, I got a lot of negative feedback. I mean, a lot of positive too, because again, you guys were asking me, wait, can she come back on and explain this? What about this? What about this? But I got a lot of negative messages, a lot of shock, even from fellow conservative Christians who thankfully are now talking about this are like, wait, 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 are you saying that you're against surrogacy even when people have a hard time having a baby? Okay, what about, what's this about IVF? And we had actually done an episode on IVF and surrogacy before all of this. I did it in, I don't know, the spring of 2020. I did an episode um, just by myself on surrogacy and IVF and things like that. But I've been educated a lot even since then because of Jennifer Law and Katie Faust and some other people. Um, but we did an episode on this in 2020. And I got a lot of negative feedback, a lot of positive, but a lot of negative from people saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe 
either, A, I can't believe you're touching that. I can't believe you're talking about birth control and things like that. There are bigger fish to fry. Shouldn't we just be focusing on abortion? And hey, if we're pro-life, like, shouldn't we just be, um, shouldn't we just be happy if babies are born, no matter how they're born? And then, of course, a lot of messages from people personally offended because they used a surrogate or they used IVF or something like that. Of course, it's never my intention to hurt people's feelings um, when it comes to those things, but need to talk about some some questions and ethics surrounding it. But now I think there's been a shift. I don't know for what reason, if it's just the efforts of the people that I've listed um, or if it's just like a change or people just started thinking about it. Of course, I hope that by the grace of God, also this podcast and having those very brilliant women on have helped, that it's helped spur the conversation, that it's kind of taken like the fear away so that other conservative commentators are willing to be like, hold up for a second. Just because we're pro-life doesn't mean that we have no questions about conception and gestation because we absolutely should. Because being pro-life, what is what is the basis of being pro-life? It is caring about the dignity and the rights of the child inside the womb. Well, that's not just about not being aborted. It also means caring about if that child has a right to a mom and a dad, which they do. It also means that we care about the circumstances surrounding conception. It means that we care about the risks and the benefits of pregnancy and gestation. And look, if you're looking at the surrogacy industry, Chloe highlights some really important points, even as someone who used surrogacy, is that you are taking this child away You're taking this child away from the woman who carried them. And there is a bond that is created in that time. There is a physiological, inexplicable in some ways, connection between the woman that is carrying the child and the child. Of course, that woman has the maturity to say, well, you know, this is not my child to continue to try to fight against that biologically just like innate Um, bond that is being created. She can try to constantly convince herself, no, this is not my child and I'm not supposed to bond with it. I'm not supposed to be attached to it, but that baby can't. I mean, that is the only home that that baby has ever known. That only heartbeat that he has ever heard. The smell, the feeling, just the innate sense of belonging that that baby has, all of that really matters, not just through pregnancy, but also at birth. Like we understand, as Katie Faust has pointed out before, that there is a primal wound that occurs in adoption, even though adoption, I think, is beautiful, a wonderful option, beautifully redemptive that we should be very supportive of. There is still a wound, a detachment that happens when that mother gives up her child for adoption and hands that child over to other parents. Again, a wonderful, beautifully redemptive process that I'm very thankful for. but. That is still um, a separation from or a step away from the ideal, which, of course, is that a child gets to stay with a loving biological mother and father. Adoption is the next best thing, but the ideal, of course, is for every child to stay with a loving, supportive, biological, married mom and dad. And so when we step away from that original design, original intent, even through something as wonderful as adoption, there is a wound that happens there. 
There is a physiological, emotional, mental thing that happens when that child is, instead of being put on the chest of his mother, the only woman that he's ever known, is given to strangers, there's a primal wound that occurs there that sometimes has great consequences in that child's life forever. Sometimes it has minimal consequences. It just kind of depends on the circumstance and depends on the level of impact. It also has an impact on the mother, whether that's a mother who is giving her child up for adoption, whether that is the surrogate. There is a separation. There is a step away from God's original intentional design that is going to cause some level of brokenness. Now, we live in a fallen world and brokenness is inevitable. And so the, when brokenness happens because of redo, uh, adoption, which again is redemptive, then that's something that can really be healed. But when it happens through something like surrogacy, when it is simply people saying, I am going to create a child, knowing that I cannot give them the best situation for their development. Creating a child saying, I am going to purposely and intentionally conceive them in order to take them away from the woman who gestated them. That is adults putting their desires above a child's right and well-being. And it's one thing when you have something like Chloe and uh, the guy who fathers her children, I think it's Tristan, where you still have the biological mom and dad, you still have the biological sperm and egg that's implanted in the woman's, in the uh, surrogate's uterus. Okay, that's one thing. But in a lot of these cases, for example, if you've got two men, they're buying the eggs from one woman and then they're fertilizing with one of their sperm. And then typically there's a, a eugenics process in there when they're picking the best embryo, they're picking the sex of the baby, they're picking the strongest embryo, making sure, of course, that the embryo doesn't have Down syndrome or doesn't have any uh, uh, those kind of anomalies or disabilities. They choose the strongest embryo that is the sex that they want. They implant those um, in the in the surrogate. That's a whole medical process for the surrogate. They're renting the womb of this other woman who, again, is not the egg seller. And then they're taking that child away upon birth from the biological mother and from the gestator, and then removing the opportunity for that child to ever have the loving touch of their mother. I don't know many things more cruel than that more wicked than that, to just assume that men and women are arbitrary, that there's nothing unique that a mother brings to the table. I mean, we allow puppies to be with their mothers for longer than we allow babies to be with their mothers or with their gestators after they're born when it comes to surrogacy. So we understand that need for connection and bond, at least for a few weeks when it comes to dogs, but not when it comes to people. Why? Because adults' whims and their desires to become parents apparently outweigh in our society the well-being and the rights of children. I mean, when it comes to two women, you are still, you're buying the sperm from a biological dad, and then you are not allowing for the child to ever have a father. Kids need a mom and a dad because men and women aren't the same. Moms and dads aren't the same. We bring different things to the table. 
There's different bonds that are created there. There are different characteristics that we offer. There's a different balance, a different dynamic that comes from God's good and wonderful and beautiful design that we see all the way back in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. He created us male and female. He created marriage in that way. He created the family in that way, not arbitrarily, but because we have different innate characteristics and because he loves us. Because marriage and family between a man and a woman is the safest place for a child to be in general. That doesn't mean that there aren't bad biological parents out there. It's not what I'm saying. Again, we live in a broken and fallen world. But a child absolutely should be given every opportunity to have a mom and a dad, preferably biological mom and dad. Although, of course, again, that's not always possible. Surrogacy disrupts this natural process. It puts the child and the woman, by the way, and the surrogate, like there are really, really grave risks to surrogacy. It's not like a normal pregnancy because it's not your, it's not your biology. Like your body didn't create this. You have to go through all of these hormonal and medical steps to even be able to carry a child that was not conceived inside you. So there's great risk to the surrogate's body as well, as well as the egg donor's body. Like there's a lot that's going on here. And in the name of, well, we should just allow adults to be parents no matter what, we're putting so many people at risk. And a lot of times these egg donors and these surrogates, they're in a financial bind. And so they feel pressure to take these opportunities. Some of these contracts when it comes to surrogacy include in there that, hey, if we want you to have an abortion, you have to have an abortion. So all these people are my body, my choice. But then when it comes to surrogacy, they think, hmm, yeah, I guess I could force another woman to have an abortion if I want her to. So all of a sudden, you don't have rights to your own body. Of course, pro-choicers don't believe that babies have a right to their own body. They already believe that babies should be murdered. So like this is really, it's not that different than human trafficking. The surrogacy industry is not that different than human trafficking, if it is at all. Sure, you're getting paid. Sure, there's technically consent. Yeah, there's technically consent in a lot of uh, these cases where these young girls are actually being trafficked, but they're doing it because they need it. They need the provision. They need the so-called protection that they think that they're getting from these men. Um, and the same thing happens in surrogacy. It is a form of trafficking. And I'm glad that Chloe is talking about it. I'm glad that she's saying, yeah, this is transactional. I'm glad that she's saying that she doesn't have the connection with her son, which is really, really sad. It's a consequence of all of this. Her poor son, because this is how she wanted to have her child. What do we always say is that when technology takes us from what is natural to what is possible, we have a lot of questions to ask. And you should not feel guilty about asking those questions. Now, all children created via surrogacy, created via IVF, created via all these technologies are made in the image of God. They're just as valuable as any other child. They're beautiful. And if you had a child via IVF or surrogacy or whatever, I am not saying that you are a bad parent or that you don't love your kids or that your kids aren't going to thrive and do very well. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't mishear me or misunderstand me or intentionally misrepresent me. Um. We just have some questions to ask, especially as Christians, especially as pro-lifers, people who want to speak up for the voiceless. 
Babies of surrogacy are voiceless. Babies of these reproductive technologies, babies who are taken away, intentionally created to be taken away from a mother or father, they're voiceless. We should be speaking up for them too. Um, so anyway, I do hope and pray though that Chloe and her son, that they bond, that that connection is able to be established. I really hope that she starts to think about this too. Um, and it's, it's okay for us to think about it. This is not forbidden territory for us. In fact, it should be a territory that we run into very bravely. And I just want to thank everyone who was doing that long before me. And also thank all the conservative Christians who now, some who sent me really mean messages a couple of years ago, but who now are talking about this. Um, I, I really, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And maybe we can turn the tide on this. There needs to be legislation put in place protecting kids too, especially when it comes to commercial surrogacy. If you've got questions about that, like, well, what about in this situation? What about in this situation? Go back and listen to some of those episodes uh, that we have, that we've talked about before. Uh, all right, let me tell you about our last sponsor for the day and then we'll head out of here. Um, this is a perfect sponsor for what we're talking about now. And that is Preborn. So Preborn Network of Clinics has rescued over 200,000 babies. They offer free sonograms. So women come in, they want to be able to see how far along they are. Once they hear that beating heart, once they see their baby in the sonogram, they are much more likely to keep their baby rather than having an abortion. So if you care about uh, truly an informed choice, if you care about the truth, if you care about transparency, then you should care about every pregnant woman having access to free sonograms. This is a really easy way that we can save lives. And Preborn does this really, really well. You could donate 28 bucks. That's how much it costs for them to conduct one ultrasound. $140 provides five ultrasounds. So just donate whatever you can. Every little bit counts. You can dial two, uh, pound 250 and say baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or you can go to preborn.com slash Allie. You can donate there. Preborn.com slash Allie. The Blaze has a goal of $70,000 in, or 70,000 babies rather, in 2023, saving 70,000 babies in 2023. So you can be a part of that by going to preborn.com slash Allie. Oh, we had a lot more to talk about today. But as you can tell, we're already running up on an hour. We'll probably be a little bit over an hour, but I wasn't expecting to talk about all the Chick-fil-A stuff and then that happened. So we had to discuss it. We had more like a uh, conception related stuff, more uh, dystopian reproduction things to talk about. Um, and we'll just have to talk about that. I don't know, sometime this week. Let me know other things that you would like us to talk about. Uh, let's see. Do I have anything else to say? Um, Please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen on Apple Podcasts. It really means a lot. Um, it helps the show. Also, leave a five-star review on Spotify. Subscribe on YouTube if you haven't done that already. And we will see you back here tomorrow. 